Coming up on Golf Today, the West Coast Swing is wrapped up and the PGA Tour is in Mexico this week. Our very own Damon Hack is on the ground as the push towards the season's biggest events gets underway. And legendary caddy Jim Bones McKay is ditching the bag for the mic this week for NBC. He'll join the show to talk about how he's getting ready for a new role as lead analyst for the network. And the LPGA Tour is back in action tonight in Thailand. There's no better time to host than a roundtable of LPGA Tour experts. Beth Ann Nichols and Amy Rogers are here to discuss some of the game's biggest storylines. All of that and more as Golf Today starts right now. Golf Today. Hello and welcome into Golf Today. Matt Adams alongside of Eamon Lynch. And Eamon, let's jump right into it. You have news. There is some news today. We're still seven weeks away from the Masters Tournament, Matt, but tournament news is coming thick and fast this morning. Fred Ridley, the chairman of Augusta National Golf Club and the Masters Tournament, has announced three players have accepted invitations to compete in the Masters. Thorbjorn Olesen, Rio Haisatsune and Joaquin Neiman. This statement from Chairman Ridley this morning saying the Masters Tournament has a long-standing tradition of inviting leading international players who are not otherwise qualified. Today's announcement represents the tournament's continued commitment towards developing interest in the game of golf across the world. We look forward to welcoming each player to Augusta National this spring. And a lot of the attention, Matt, is likely to focus on Joaquin Neiman as a live player being invited. Mm -hmm. uh, although in specifying why he was invited, the Masters Tournament sing singled out his victory in the Australian Open and top five finishes in his last three DP World Tour events. No mention of Liv at all, which to me suggests that it's, it's very much based on merit. Liv is not under consideration as qualifying someone to play in the Masters. What they do on tours whose competitive integrity can be vouched for does actually matter, regardless of whether or not they play on Liv. Uh, it's interesting. I'm not 100% certain that the omission of the mention of Liv would uh, completely invalidate what he's done because with club in hand on Liv, he's had some very impressive performances there as well. There, there were quite a bit of uh, groundswell of support that was, that was brewing behind getting him into the Masters by virtue of the same. So I would still like to believe that, it, that it's for the entirety of what he's accomplished so far. I think that might be optimistic. I think the question, Bill, one to me, is Thorbjorn Olesen. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, he's 59th in the world, so he could technically still play his way in by virtue of being top 50 in the world. And he has had, I think it's what, five top 10 finishes in his last seven starts. He's five years removed from his last performance in the Masters. He's not from a grow the game part of the world in the way that the other two invitees are. I mean, he's from Copenhagen, he's mid-career, 34-year-old, it seems, that one seems just slightly out of left field. Well, me I mean, he has, he has won recently, and he's, he's yep. also a story of redemption, isn't he, with, with the pits and valleys of life that he had to walk through and climb out of to get himself and get his game back again. I do think he's an exciting player. Remember when oh. he came out and all the comparisons were between him and Rory in terms of style? He's kept himself in shape. He's strong as can be. I think he's an exciting player. I do think it's interesting that in two of these three that we're looking at, you're, you've got different regions of the world that you're noting that are great for expansion and growth yep. of the game. And then the other from a DP World Tour player 
even from that perspective, if you're looking at it from a global basis, a macro basis, and you're Augusta National, this is good. This is healthy of the game. This is, these are the things that Augusta National does in order to spread that goodwill globally. And all three of these guys are absolutely defensible as invitees to the Masters. And it, it, to me, I suppose it just illustrates the fact that when anyone is invited to the Masters beyond what is the published criteria for mm -hmm. qualifying automatically, it's going to be subject to a tremendous amount of scrutiny and uh, you know, analysis as to why certain people are in. You can make a case for all of them. It's not as though anyone is so far out of left field that you're thinking, what is that guy doing in the field? It's well, I, I have two thoughts to that. The, the first one is, I'm glad that they're doing it. I'm, I'm happy to see that Augusta National is saying, we think there, that there are people that have merit to be here that are outside the normal criteria. Mm -hmm. The second part of it is, it's Augusta National, and Augusta National is going to do what they want to do. That's true. It's not as though they're inviting us to make up the field there. Well, this week marks the start of a big stretch of golf coming up on NBC as the network will have live coverage of each of the next seven weeks on the PGA Tour, starting this week at the Mexico Open at Vedanta, moving through the Cognizant Classic in the Palm Beaches, onto the API at Bay Hill, the Players, Valspar, and then a couple of weeks in Texas at the Houston Open and the Valero Texas Open. And my usual co-pilot here on Golf Today has packed a bag and left me. So it's time now for Hack Hits the Road with Damon Hack, who will be part of the NBC caravan for the next couple of months. Damon joins us now from the Mexico Open at Vedanta. Damon, what are your initial impressions now that you've got on the ground at the tournament? Eamon, great to hear your voice. Matt, great to see. I can tell you one thing, that the weather that we saw in Phoenix in Los Angeles, we've left that behind. Temperatures in the 80s here in Puerto Vallarta. What a gorgeous day, and the weather's going to be good all week. My impressions of the Mexico Open so far, first of all, how big this property is at Vedanta, some 2,500 acres, more than 2,900 hotel rooms, many of the players staying on property. There's a boat ferry that a lot of the players are taking from the hotel to the golf course. I bumped into Charlie Hoffman this morning. And I tell you something, I talked to Ron Levin, longtime caddy for Carl Yuan, and I said, what are your thoughts about this week? He said, it's the best week ever. Even caddies have their families here. Last night there was a, a Selena concert by, by a woman who was doing Selena songs. Or the food here is fantastic, but the family atmosphere is really one of the big, big selling points of this tournament. Damon, I have to tell you that, that Eamon has a cardboard box by your cubicle and he put all your stuff into it. I'm not sure he said you could pick it up anytime. But in all seriousness, I do want to ask you this. When you're in the role of doing an interview, you have sometimes seconds at most minutes, not only to frame and ask your question and hope that you elicit a response that is interesting, that combination cannot be easy. It's got to be a very different role for you. Matt, it's a great challenge, and what I've found is that short questions lead to long and good answers. I, I don't want to, to, to ask or answer the, the question in the question. I want the players to give me the information. I caught up with Brandon Wu a little bit earlier today, the Stanford alum who has a second and third place finish. And I just said, what are your thoughts on, on the grasses here, the past palum? And he talked about how the golf ball sits up, a beautiful explainer, and how this is a wonderful, you know, ball striking paradise and the turf interaction for a good iron player. So I found that short questions lead to long and thoughtful answers. I'm going to be fascinated as I travel, especially this week and also during the Florida swing, how the players kind of 
pace themselves. These are tough, tough golf courses, especially when you get to Florida, when you have a Bay Hill and a Players' Championship back-to-back, for example, you know, the energy level that these players are going to face. But, but I love asking questions, been doing it for 20 years, first as a newspaper guy, and then, of course, at magazines, and now for Golf Channel. One of my favorite things to do is to talk to players when they walk off that 18th green, whether they've made a birdie or a double bogey to find out kind of what the mindset is to, to either bounce back or to carry that momentum forward. The answers tend to be a lot shorter if they've walked after making double bogey, Damon. I'm curious what the mood is among the players right there. If there's any trepidation in terms of events like this, we see the focus becoming more and more on signature events and fields with elite players showing up. And that's not the case this week. The field isn't the strongest we're going to see on tour this year by any stretch. Is there a trepidation among the players that the opportunities that they have as rank and file members of the tour might potentially shrink in this new world that we seem to be moving towards? It's a great point that you make, Eamon, and a great question. I talked to Brandon about that very thing, and he talked about the importance of the pathways that the Aeon, Swing 5, and Next 10 present to these players in this field to have those chances to compete in the signature events. And you're right. I think it puts pressure also on these regular PGA Tour stops to find ways to distinguish themselves, whether they be through, you know, great accommodations for the families, things to do off the golf course outside of the tournament. And this is also where the impact of John Rahm leaving is affected. This is a Spanish-speaking country. He had a first and a second-place finish here, of course, now uh, made his decision to go to live golf. He is not in this field. At the same token, having a player of Tony Finau's ilk, also a winner and a runner-up finish here, he's plastered all over the signage here at Vedanta, a six-time winner on the PGA Tour who was very accessible, a former Ryder Cupper. He's a known quantity. So I think it puts pressure on the players to find ways into the signature events, A, but also on the tournaments, you know, whether it's through the families or, or great accommodations for the caddies or cars, the comfort level, something the players can have as a carrot to attend those events. The golf course distinguishing itself, for example. All of those come into play for these regular PGA Tour stops to face that challenge, to distinguish themselves when trying to compete with and raise their level compared to the signature events. Damon, I'm going to wreck your recipe of asking a brief question for, to elicit a, a, a thought and lo long, uh, long answer from you. What I'd like to know is this. Your voice will be part of framing the storylines for the coming weeks and the PGA Tour, certainly here in the NBC Sports family. But first of all, what do you think about the storylines that have been so far in the 2024 season, and how do you think they're going to play forward? I think it's been a fantastic start to the season. And I keep using that word pathways because I think it's important. And I think in this era of, let's be honest, fractured professional golf, seeing some synergy between the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, for example, uh, with their strategic alliance and seeing a, a Matthew Pavan be successful on the PGA Tour, a Nikolai Hoygaard be successful on the PGA Tour, and also just seeing the, a Grayson Murray play well and a, and a Chris Kirk, two players that have battled demons and found victory again on the PGA Tour. And how about the quality of golf? that we've seen so far in 2024. And Nick Taylor shooting a course record 60 in that opening round of the WM Phoenix Open. Or Hideki Matsuyama shooting a final round best 62 to win at the Genesis at Riviera. So I think the storylines have been interesting. And I think the quality of play, Matt, has been very high as well. We look forward to you 
Describing those storylines as the week moves on down in Mexico, Damon, and dinner is on you in a couple of weeks at TPC Sawgrass. Thanks for joining us. That's a deal. Looking forward to it. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay, guys, here's how you can catch uh, the action from this week at the Open at Vedanta. You can see it starting Thursday at 4 Eastern time on Golf Channel and Peacock. Same time on Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Meanwhile, the LPGA Tour is back in action after several weeks off. The season started with a star-studded affair in Orlando as Lydia Ko won the Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions, securing her 20th career victory on the LPGA Tour. Then Lydia nearly won again in the drive-on championship, but it was Nelly Cordu who came up clutch down the stretch and defeated Ko on the second hole of a playoff to grab her ninth career win on the LPGA Tour. As to the LPGA Tour upcoming schedule, there you see it. The Honda LPGA Thailand, that begins tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern time. And then from there, you can see, you can see the schedule as it lays itself out over the coming weeks for the LPGA. It is time now for a Golf Today roundtable as we welcome our Golf Channel colleague Amy Rogers and Golf Week senior writer Beth Ann Nichols to get up to speed on all things LPGA. Amy, if we may, let's start with you. Lilia Vu is a defending champion this week at the Honda LPGA Thailand. What do you make of Lilia's start to her year? Well, it's been a disappointing start to the season for Lilia Vu, the current world number one, who through the first two events of the season on the LPGA Tour has only been able to break 70 uh, just once. But she said earlier today during her press conference in Thailand that she was a little rusty after the offseason, uh, took a little bit of time off. And she said she really used those first two events to sort of evaluate where her game was at, where she had neglected her game and what she needed to really work on going forward. So she said over these last three weeks since she last played at that LPGA uh, drive-on championship where she finished uh, tied for 55th that she's really been focused on her ball striking. She said that she's just trying to hit the ball more solidly, trying to compress the ball a little bit more. And she said that those first two weeks were really a wake-up call for her. And now she's uh, feeling a lot better about her game and in a much better spot as she now prepares to defend the first of four titles uh, beginning uh, this week here in Thailand. Yeah, Amy, I thought it was fantastic that Lilia went to Cabo during the offseason with her girlfriends. She said it was the first time she'd ever taken a girl's trip, so I'm not surprised there was a little bit of rust. <laughs> but I had the chance to talk to her a little bit at the, at the TOC earlier this year about expectations and how she was going to manage expectations after such a fantastic year in 2023, and she said she was going to be nice to herself. She said, I don't want to discredit what happened last year, but I also don't want to make myself feel like I have to one-up myself every week. You did this last year. Now you need to do this this year. She said, she used the word strangle. She said, I don't want to strangle myself under the weight of expectations. So I thought that was a fantastic mindset as she looks to follow 2023. Bethan, it wasn't that long ago that Jin Young-ko seemed to be the dominant figure in this game. We haven't seen her since she withdrew from the CME Group Tour Championship in November with an injury. Is she healthy? Is she ready to compete? 
She is. I, I, I sent word down through a little birdie to ask Jin Youngo how Jin Youngo how she feels. And she said she had a test on everything. She checked her, the doctors checked her wrists, her knees, her her spine, everything to make sure that she was in good shape. And, and she's very healthy. She spent a month in Vietnam getting ready for this season with her swing coach. And, you know, she said when it comes to this year, she obviously wants to stay healthy. That's goal number one. But she also really wants to make sure that she's feeling good for the second half of the year. She said she seems to run out of energy, run out of steam after about the five-month period on, on the LPGA. And that, that summer stretch is super crucial when you look at the major championships on the table as well as the Olympics. So uh, that that's going to be her goal this season, as she said, is to work really hard on the range, put all of her reps in, and then leave it there. Let it go, let it be, and just relax. When I spoke with Jin Young-Ko's team uh, at the season-ending CME Group Tour Championship, they had pointed to uh, just the week before where she had uh, had that knee injury. They could point to a specific shot uh, during that first round that had occurred. And they told me, which I think was uh, particularly interesting, was that she was experiencing pain in the knee not only when she was swinging, but when she was walking as well. So I think this is something really important to keep an eye on as she returns to action this week at the Honda LPGA Thailand. It's something that we've seen with Tiger Woods and his injuries as well, where perhaps he's able to make a perfectly good swing, but walking becomes an issue. And so that's something that we'll need to keep an eye on as Jin Young Ko returns to competition and 72 holes over the next couple days. Amy, let's stay with this theme, if we can, for a second, about pro prominent uh, players. Patty Tavatanikit was back in the winner's circle at the Aramco Saudi Ladies International. How big a deal is it for her to get back in the victory circle? Yeah, this is huge. I mean, that star power that fans were clamoring for this past season on the LPGA Tour, looking for some of those big names uh, to come out and get those big victories. Well, it's happening in full force early to start 2024. Tava joining Nelly Korda and Lydia Ko, both getting back into the winner's circle early in this year. And Tava a commanding seven-stroke victory on the Ladies European Tour this past weekend. And it came as a huge surprise because we hadn't seen Tava win since her breakthrough victory at the Chevron Championship back in 2021. If you had told any of us we wouldn't see Tavitanikit win again for three years, we never would have believed you because she came out as a rookie. She went wire to wire. She led that week in driving distance. And I remember Judy Rankin was on the call and she said, this girl is hitting the ball in places I've never seen before at Mission Hills. So it's such an impressive and commanding performance. And then she comes out, fights back, retools her swing, and is now calling herself Patty 2.0. She's changed up her diet. She's expanded her team. And now she is back in the winner's circle this past week. It's not only great news for Tavitanikit, who could be a real star, um, but it's great news for the women's game as well. You know, I, I I totally agree with you in that nobody would have predicted that we would have seen a drought this long for Patty. But I think it's important to to realize that while players don't always share everything that's going on in their lives, you know, they do have a life outside of golf that often, you know, does spill over inside the ropes when when things are going, you know, stressful with with relationships and family. And well, who knows what it is? Patty hasn't let us know, but. But just the idea that it's not always about mechanics, it's not always about uh, what's going on inside the ropes that might lead to a, to a, a slump of sorts. But I, I really liked what she said about getting her team together, being the CEO of, of Patty Tavitanik at golf, which, which every young player has to learn how to do because it's not just about 
getting the ball in the hole. You're actually managing a team and trying to figure out that you're in charge of this team and you're you're driving the bus and where it goes. And so that's been a big part of her growth lately. Definitely some great stuff, ladies. Thank you very much for it. Whether we're talking inside the ropes or outside the ropes, Amy and Beth Ann will continue to stay with us as we take this quick break and come back with more on Golf Today. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus chews. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. It's a globe-trotting game this week. On Golf Channel, here's what you can see, starting with the Honda LPGA Thailand starting tonight, 10 p.m. DP World Tour is in Kenya starting tomorrow at 5 a.m. Eastern Time. PGA Tour Champions is in Morocco starting Thursday at 8 a.m. And then, of course, the Mexico Open at Vedanta, Thursday at 4 p.m. right here on Golf Channel. It's time now to continue our roundtable discussion. We welcome back Amy Rogers and Bethan Nichols. And Bethan, yesterday it was announced that Morgan Pressel, Angela Stanford, Paula Creamer and Brittany Lincecum will serve as assistant captains to Stacey Lewis for the U.S. team in the upcoming Solheim Cup. No real surprises in that group. What's your take on the choices Stacey made? Well, it's the first time in history that there are four U.S. assistant captains. So that that actually did did surprise me. But but when Stacey explained it, it makes total sense. You know, Julie Inkster, who was captain three times in a row, kept the same assistant captains. And so there are a lot of players who didn't get a chance who will be upcoming captains down the road uh, to serve as an assistant captain. So that's why she added in Lincecum this time and, and along with Creamer. And so, you know, there's a long list of players waiting to be Solheim Cup captain on the American side. And what I love about choosing Paula Creamer and Brittany Lincecum now is that it's an extremely young team for Team USA. And Paula and Brittany have always been about the team first. And especially to hear it from someone like Paula Creamer, who was, you know, definitely the alpha player uh, back in the day when she was a rookie and in those ensuing years for about 10 years, she was she was the it girl. But when she was in that team room, it wasn't about Paula. It was about the team and what the Solheim Cup means to her. And so to hear them say things like, you know, winning majors, you know, certainly highlights of our careers, but the Solheim Cup might be the biggest. I think young players really need to hear that. That's the message that Stacey Lewis is really trying to ring home. Amy, I want to ask you about the LET and a potential merger between the LPGA. Have you heard anything more about that? What does all of the speculation mean? 
Well, we hadn't really heard much from the LEP side since this proposed merger was postponed, this vote for these two tours to come together, that vote postponed back in November. Well, earlier this past week, while the LET was playing in Saudi Arabia, uh, the CEO of the LET, Alexandria Armas, did speak during a women's panel, and she was asked about that merger. Now, while she wouldn't provide any details, she did say that talks continue to be ongoing. Now, we heard reports that the Saudis and the public investment fund were behind uh, this proposed vote uh, fall falling through back in November. Now, she did say that as talks are ongoing that she used words like maybe strategic alliance, uh, joint venture, when discussing what that future might look like with the LPGA. So not ruling out still some way for these tours to work together. She also mentioned uh, working with the tour in Australia, also the one in Africa. And she acknowledged that when all these tours can work together, it makes the women's game that much stronger. Now that said, she also recognized how important the Saudis have been in helping to support and to prop up the LET in recent years while they were struggling. Now she said that there will be a player meeting on the LET this week. They will be discussing um, what happened with that vote that was postponed and about steps going forward. She said no doubt there'll be a discussion about those four cards that were going to be uh, up for grabs to players that finished at the top of the LET's race to uh, Costa del Sol. Those were going to go to um, the LPGA Tour, those four cards, uh, will no doubt be a huge disappointment for players going forward to possibly not receive those. But she said that conversations remain ongoing, and so we'll have to wait and see as uh, this saga continues. Bethan, we talked about this subject a few weeks ago. And when you compare it with tennis, and the Saudis had kind of stymied this merger, when you compare it with women's tennis, you've seen Chris Everett, Martina Navratilova be quite strident about the risks of women's sport becoming involved with the Saudi Arabian government. Does that sentiment exist anywhere on the LPGA tour? Well, I could probably count on my hand the number of players and not, and not use all my fingers who are really concerned uh, about that. Um, it's mostly, honestly, past players. It's veteran players who have sounded the alarm bells, you know, a, a Kari Webb, a, a Beth Daniel, you know, Meg Mallon, you know, these, these players are very concerned, Hollis Stacey, uh, about what, what might come about should the, should the Saudis get involved with the LPGA from a, a long-term perspective. But to be frank, I don't know that a lot of players are taking a long-term perspective about this in terms of current players. I think they're looking at, at the opportunities that are on the table and, and, and what it could do, you know, long-term for them. Speaking about veteran players, you've just written a column for Golf Week on NB Park. Doesn't seem like NB's planning to play a lot of golf anytime soon. She's got other interests, I gather. I think if NB, when I, when I emailed her agent, if he had wrote, written back that NB was going to play this year, I would have been more surprised. Uh, you know, I think most of us uh, are, are thinking that we might not see much more of NB Park at all, but we certainly won't see her in 2024 because she is running for something called the IOC Athletes Commission, and she's going to spend her time uh, promoting herself to, to try to get voted in, and that, that election will take place in Paris uh, in the Olympic Village uh, this summer, and uh, and if she's elected, one of four athletes voted on by her peers, then she will serve an eight-year term. So that's NB's focus right now, as well as being a mom to her, her very young daughter. And look, she's accomplished just about everything you could possibly accomplish in the women's game. And, uh, and, and I think she's looking forward to, to future chapters right now.
Thank you very much, Beth Ann. Amy, excellent insight on the world of the LPGA for us today. Thank you. Well, our next guest is our favorite double jobber in the game of golf. Bones Mackay has dropped Justin Thomas's bag for a week and picked up a microphone again. He's on the call for NBC in Mexico. We're going to hear from Bones right after this short break. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus chews. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Well, the PGA Tour is making a stop in Mexico this week for its National Open in Vallarta. Catch live first-round coverage of the Mexico Open at Vedanta tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern, right here on Golf Channel. And there's a familiar voice on the call this week. Jim Bones Mackay is going to serve as the lead analyst for NBC. Bones is still in the bag for Justin Thomas full-time, but since JT has taken the week off, Bones will serve as a walker on Thursday, then move to the booth with Dan Hicks and Brad Faxon for the remainder of the week. And it's another chapter in what is already one of the most impressive resumes that any caddy has built in the history of this game. Started his career working with Larry Mai, Scott Simpson, Curtis Strange, 25 years for Phil Mickelson, five majors together. Spent four years as an on-course reporter for NBC before moving back on the bag for Justin Thomas in 2021 and adding a sixth major to his career. And Bones joins us now from Mexico. Bones, you're doing a lot of transitioning here. You put down the bag. You were a caddy last week in L.A. when I saw you. You're walking tomorrow. You're in the booth Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Do you have to kind of reprogram your mind along the way to how you approach these different gigs? Yeah, that's such a great question. I, I certainly do. I, I certainly have to forget that uh, how far Justin Thomas hits his seven iron this week because obviously these guys hit him all kinds of numbers. So you just kind of clear, clear the slate, if you will, um, just chill a little bit, rewire if you have to, and, and just think about the golf course from everybody's perspective rather than just the one guy. Bones, you spoke about JT. He has publicly credited you with noticing different aspects of his golf swing that has helped him in his march towards what he calls so close. How close is he in your estimation? Yeah, he's extremely close. I mean, certainly got off to a great start this year, uh, despite the miscut in L.A. last week, where I think he was just somewhat out of gas. I think playing a couple of weeks uh, with a lot of rain delays in both Phoenix and Pebble took it out of him. But, you know, he's 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 a guy that's not out there. You know, if a genie came out of a bottle and said, you know, you can finish third place this week, if, if you're happy with that, he'd tell him to get lost because uh, he wants to win. So he's he's very determined to get back into the winner's circle. And uh, I look forward to what's going to happen when he uh, ultimately does raise that trophy the next time, given that he'll carry a lot of momentum into the tournaments that follow down the road. 
do you have a sense already this week, Bones, that there are guys out there in Mexico who feel as though they really have to be opportunistic this week because it isn't the strongest field. A lot of the top guys are taking a break before moving into the signature events and the players, but it is an opportunity for a lot of rank-and-file guys to play their way into those bigger events. Do you get that palpable sense on the ground yet? Yeah, in a big way. I think without question this is an opportunity for some guys that maybe aren't in the players or aren't in the masters, certainly, which uh, looms not too far down the road to, to, to have, you know, something of a life-altering week. Um, the one thing about this golf course, though, that would be a little bit depressing for those guys is if you don't have a lot of length. This is one of the biggest golf courses I've ever seen. There's plenty of room off the tee with the exception of two or three holes. So, you know, bring your long ball this week or have one of the greatest putting weeks of your career if you don't have a lot of length off the tee. Bones, we haven't had a chance to talk about it since the Ryder Cup. You were cast in a central and a very dramatic role there. And I'm wondering how much that is a reflection of the heightened emotions of the week and things happening there that simply don't happen any other week the whole rest of the year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think, you know, the Ryder Cup, it's amazing. It's, it's probably my favorite golf tournament anywhere in the world, and there's no question it gets a little chippy out there. Everybody wants to win in the worst way, and, and certainly, you know, the U.S. was trying very hard this past Ryder Cup to win overseas for the first time since, I think, 1993. But, uh, you know, we, we got beat up, you know, really badly the first couple of days. Patrick, of course, did some amazing things on the golf course, I think, late Saturday. And, and you know, there's, there's speeches going on in, in the respective team rooms. Guys get fired up and, and you know, situations happened as they did. But uh, the great thing is that we're all great friends after the fact. Um, I have nothing but respect for Rory. He's a, a great ambassador for the game and arguably the best player in the world. And saw him for the first time recently. He came over, he gave me a big hug at a dinner we were both at in the Pebble Beach area. So, again, I think it just reflects how much these players you know, want to win the Ryder Cup, and I think it, it speaks for what a great game golf is because those guys aren't getting paid a nickel for being there that week. I think they're just doing it for the love of the game and, you know, representing their peers and their tours and their countries and continents, if you will. You've been in the middle of that pressure as a caddy and working TV, Bones. When are we going to get you back to TV full-time? I get that your heart's still in caddying, but do we have to wait until your knees give out entirely to get you back on this side of the camera? <laughs> well, Eamon, you know, I, I keep up big time with with your golf game and and cer certainly if that super senior tour does come back around and, and you your game you know starts to peak and, and i hear it hasn't peaked yet uh, I'll, I'll certainly consider it but uh, right now i'm very happy carrying the golf bag of uh, one of the great players in the world and and it, you know when i have a couple of weeks to myself coming out and hanging out with my tv friends and doing this i've got a lot of rust to knock off but uh catting's been really good to me you know picking up on that theme it's ironic that your nickname is bones from Fred Couples because we've all talked to you about your bones and particularly about your knees. How are you <laughs> feeling? How is the body taking the rigors of a long time out there? You know, the knees are great now. Um, the, 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 the marvels of modern science and medicine. I do have a back fusion on the docket for later this summer. So, you know, my body is exactly what it should be. It's beaten up quite a bit after 35 years out here. But you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. And uh, I got a couple of good doctors at home. They're going to put me back together. And <laughs> they got a couple of rolls of duct tape. So I, I look forward to being out here for a little bit longer. Who, focusing on the job this week, Bones, who are you looking for a big week from? Because, you know, Tim, Tony Finau is a brand name in the field. But Brandon Wu's been in the top three the last couple of years there. Nikolai Huygaard's in the field playing really well. Is there any one guy that you're looking at to make a statement this week? 
I think a couple of guys, uh, to me, Torbjorn Olsson, you know, coming off a win in the Middle East recently on the DP Tour, he's been playing some great golf. He, he's, he's, you know, definitely turned a new chapter and taken his game to a, a different level, if, if you will, the last couple of years in terms of how he plays. And I'm, I'm waiting for Maverick McNeely to make some noise. While he may not be one of the longer guys here this week, he's an exceptional putter. Obviously, great putting makes up for a lot of other things. And I think at some point this year, he's either going to win or come darn close. Bones, we talk constantly about the depth in professional golf on tours around the world. I'm going to ask you to look over your shoulder just for a second because we just finished the West Coast Swing, and there were a lot of surprises. Surprises from the standpoint of saying, can't believe the quality and depth of the stories of winners that we had. What do you think about in terms of these winners when you look back on the weeks that just happened? Well, again, you know, you mentioned the depth, certainly. And while, you know, Nick Taylor may not be a household name amongst golf fans, uh, at least through the, the United States, certainly he is in Canada. I mean, that guy's one heck of a player. And, and he's a guy that when he smells blood can, can really get it done. He's a shark out there. And he proved, uh, you know, at the Waste Management, you know, exactly what he's made of in terms of just tracking Charlie Hoffman down and ultimately winning in a playoff where there are birdies flying everywhere. And, you know, people can write things like there wasn't a lot of juice on the West Coast, but I prefer to think, think of it as this, this is the PGA Tour. This is the place to be. And, and my goodness, you better bring your A game out here because just about anybody can win week in, week out. Well, the man with an A game is certainly you, sir. Good luck this week. Uh, back with NBC. We're very much looking forward to your work as ever. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Have a great day. Pleasure. Okay, here's how you can catch coverage of the Mexico Open this week here on Golf Channel. Again, tomorrow at 4 Eastern time, and then Friday at 4 Eastern time as well. On Saturday and Sunday, as you can see, it is split between us and the mothership at NBC. Now, speaking of events, we're looking forward very much to the 124th U.S. Open as it heads to Pinehurst. That will be June 13th to the 16th. Today, the USGA announced that online entry applications are open. Thousands of golfers are expected to try to qualify for the championship through a two-stage process with a final field of 156 players advancing to Pinehurst course number two, where one will be crowned the U.S. Open champion. 